Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about how to steal a scoundrel's heart by Vivian Lauret. This was just published in 2022 and full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy from Happily Ever Avon. Thank you, Avon. And this is number four in the Mating Habits of Scoundrels series. And we did talk about all three of the previous books, I think just in the last year. So, yeah. And this book is finally about Prue, who's the friend that the three previous protagonists were writing letters to. Right. I, this is one of those series where I think they've gotten away from the central conceit, which was writing the mating habits of scoundrels. There's no like one's writing. A passing reference to it in this one, and that's it. <laughs> that's it. But that's okay. Like, I remember I was very interested to find out what happened with Prue. And the end of the last book, I was like, oh, it's Lord Savage. I can't wait to find out because I love those guys with the names like Lord Savage or Lord Strange or Lord whatever. Mm-hmm. Brutal. <laughs> whatever they are. Sinster. <laughs> yes. Even though they shouldn't be Lord Sinster. Correct. Should we read the jacket? Yes. Ruined debutante Prudence Thoroughgood lost everything when she was ousted from polite society, including her inheritance. Now she'll do anything to take back what's hers, even if she has to steal it. Accepting a scandalous offer from Lord Savage seems like the perfect solution to disguise her criminal intentions from the tongue. Until she discovers that there's more to this scoundrel than meets the eye. Leo Ramsgate, Marcus of Savage, has everything except for a heart. That organ dried up long ago after a devastating betrayal. Since then, he vowed never to trust or love again. He ensures that his dalliances are mutually satisfying, but always temporary, until he meets the reserved Miss Thoroughgood. Not one of his previous lovers has ever beguiled him the way she does. Not one has made him want to break his own rules. Not one has tempted him to keep her forever. Prue has every intention of disappearing from London after their affair ends. But her plan falters when she finds herself falling hopelessly in love with a man who may never love her in return. With time running out and so much at stake, she cannot help but wonder... How to Steal a Scoundrel's Heart. The name of the thing is in the thing, Lane. The name of the thing is in the thing. (laughs) Okay. So I don't want to be a big jerk about this, but I just want to say very briefly that this guy's name is Leo Ramsgate. And I was immediately reminded, of course, of Leo Hathaway, Lord Ramsey. Yes. So I just want to get that out of the way. It's out of the way. The cat, like the, the elephant has been acknowledged and we can move on. I think this jacket is fine. It's there's fine. a couple of things I want to quibble over, but like ultimately they're so nitpicky that it's. It's, it's perfectly fine. And then I, it's really cheesy, but I, I can't, I can't help but love that she ends with the title. 
as a question. Yes. <laughs> it really oh, is. God. It's darling. It's, it's really good, guys. It's really good. Well, as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summaries based on that number. And for this episode, the number is 26. So take it away, Lane. I, I really like your summary. Thank you. Prue needs all 13 of her mother's horcruxes or whatever to best her evil stepmother and gain her independence. Fucking a proficient thief is just efficient. So true. It's so true. He's not a professional thief. This is actually one of the things I loved unreservedly. There's this epic prologue. Yes, there is. Where Prue declares her intentions to steal back the things that should have been hers by birthright. And then she immediately is so bad at stealing. So bad. <laughs> and it's not that Leo is, like, good at it or trained. He's just, like, a little more opportunistic. Mm-hmm. And I actually really enjoyed, like, how terrible she was at theft. It was so enjoyable. She was so bad at it. And she was so bad because she's so sweet and nice. Yes. Which... She's trying to be bad. She's not trying to be nice. That's it was it was darling. You're right. I think darling is the right word. What was your 26 word summary? All right, here it is. Prue is ruined, so she decides to be ruined by becoming Leo's mistress. Too bad they fall in love, except also Leo can't fall in love. Yeah, so you get it one of the things that frustrated me about this book. Prue wasn't really ruined. No. And not, I'm not talking about, like, the physical reality of her virginity, which we will get to. But I'm talking, like, no one in society caught her doing anything untoward. Nope. Her dad caught her having her first kiss and, like, kicked her out of town before anybody knew what was going on. So she's being, like, held under lock and key by, like, Cinderella-style family members using her as a servant. Yep. But she's not actually on the outs in society Except that everybody knows she's been banished for whatever reason. Right. You know, I, I like how in your summary you call her stepmother her evil stepmother. Because it, it, I feel like this book does have a little bit of the glamour of a fairy tale about it. Yes. Right? Like, she, like you said, you just said she was like Cinderella. And then her stepmother is, she's stolen her inheritance. Her father is still alive, but he's not, he's not a loving father, obviously. And, and I think that's really underscored by the sort of epilogue one-line descriptions. We get a lot of the background characters, mm-hmm. including her father and her stepmother and what yeah. they get up to. Like, it feels very fairy tale, sort of everybody gets what's coming to them. Right, right. And that's that's not something that I disliked about this book. No. Before we get into talking about it, I will say I have very mixed feelings about this book because it is very well written. There are a lot of things I really like about it. There are a lot of things that I was really frustrated about as well, though. I truly loved and thought the setup was unique. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved the setup, and it actually caught me as, like, tropey, but not a trope. Right. Like, she goes to his house to make a sex bargain for his protection to help him with a favor. But so often that favor is, like, help me save my brother. Like, help me quest for these 13 objects and, like, lean really heavily, as you were saying, into the fairy tale. Like, 
That was so fun. Yeah. And the fact that it was all set up by an author who is not afraid to be sexy. Yep. I was all about this book until their first time. Yep. So until just about, what, halfway through, right? Yep. That was pretty similar for me, too. Uh, Because that's, of course, he's falling in love with her the whole time because that's, it's a romance novel. This is what happens. What what got me was the big not like the other girls trope. Yes. I mean, it was it, it was written at least two or three times in the text that she was different than his other mistresses. She wasn't the same as the other ones. And I mean, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that that just really frustrates me. Especially when what's being shit on is like the materialism of women, where as we've said over and over and over on this podcast, goods were the only things women could own. Mm-hmm. And so, especially women like mistresses in very precarious social positions, the gifts they got were literally what would sustain them for the rest of their lives. So, forgive them a little bit of materialism. Right. And the thing is, too, like, he's all upset that they that they want something from him. And I'm like, well, you want something from them, too. Right. I don't know. I I was a little I was very frustrated by that part of the book. We'll just say that there's also an evil other woman who appears, which is another it's not a trope, but it's a like a standard of the genre. Well, and in this case, she's working with the scorned childhood friend. Yes. And then, as I mentioned in my summary, he's sworn never to fall in love. Because his mommy ran away. Yes. (laughs) Sometimes I sneak in new phrasings for trying tropes (laughs) and Meg doesn't look ahead of time and I get her. (laughs) She got me. You mean the Lord of Scoundrels trope? Yes. <laughs> Mommy ran away. This one was like doubling down on the fairy tale dickishness, though. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was. It's this is a not. This is not Lord of Scoundrels. Lord of Scoundrels. Say what you will about it. Is an amazing book. The first half. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did like quite a few things. I really liked, so it's very clear very early on that Prue's experience with sex has not been great, okay? So she makes a sex bargain with him, and she's willing to be his mistress. She's willing to sleep with him, so she's not, like, upset. He doesn't have to seduce her or anything like that. Because she's consenting, but he does want to make it good for her. So he spends a lot of time making sure that she understands that sex can be good. And it's not like she clearly has daddy issues. And the only guy she's ever had romantic feelings for in the past, one, treated her terribly, but also two, was clearly like taking advantage of her because he knew by treating her nicely, she'd give him everything because no one treated her nicely. Right. And so she was so skittish, not just because of this one guy and this one failed attempt at sex, but because no one in her life other than her friends was treating her kindly. Mm -hmm. And so I think I appreciated that he was not just from like the sex front, but just on the, 
when he approached her, he didn't want her cowering. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a thing that I like about a lot of romance novels is it's not that the man falls in love with the woman who challenges her, but rather that he likes when she can be herself. Yes. You know, I don't know. It's that's the real fantasy. Right. <laughs> right. Being loved yeah. for who you are. Yes. That's what this whole genre is based on. Correct. That would be it. Um, I loved that their sex bargain included larceny. This took so much of the sex bargain stuff that we're, that has gotten made fun of in romance lately from like a written contract to literally using women as disposable employees for sex. Uh-huh. Like because of mommy issues combined with like a reluctant woman, like, but not an unconsenting woman. And just turned them on their head and, like, yep. made stuff that even I'm usually like, okay, this is their swimming past. And I was so into it. hmm It was so much fun. It was so great. Like, sex bargains are fun, but this made it even more fun. Right? This was so well executed to the point that in the first half of the book, she's really got a kicked puppy dog personality. And it's like, we must put into the sex contract that you might just want to get, leave me because you're bored of me. And like, that is a personality trait in romance heroines that I fucking hate. And I was still on board with it for the first 50% of this book. Mm -hmm. And then again, and this, I would say for the first 75%, like, look, he says he doesn't want to fall in love. This is the trait that all romance novel heroes share or 95% of them share, right? They're not going to fall in love for whatever reason. It's just, why fall in love? I can't fall in love with my wife or whatever. And I thought I really liked, there's this extended metaphor of him thinking that his clocks aren't telling the right time. Because either when he's not around her, they're not going fast enough. Or when he's with her, he doesn't realize how much time has gone by. I just thought it was a really cute Super obvious, but really fun way to show that he's falling in love. I also think there were two things I derived that that I thought from that whole metaphor. One, he kind of treats the servants badly Mm -hmm. in his pursuit of why aren't my clocks working? Right. In a way that wasn't charming, but also wasn't unforgivable. Right. Like, I thought it fleshed out the imperiousness of a duke. Yep. Without, like, making him, like, anachronistically, well, the butler thinks it's cute because he raised him. Yeah. Like, just like, uh, yeah, there's kind of saying it with a laugh, and they know he's not going to fire them, but he, like, actually thinks they should go get clocks elsewhere. Yeah. Because he is a duke, and he will do this. But two, it wasn't subtle. You're totally right. It was a very obvious metaphor. But I'm glad she resisted the moment of the of aha with him being like, that's what I thought was wrong with my clocks. Like, it is obvious enough without him leaning in. And I say that because we read a very cute book, which we'll be reviewing next week, that Meg and I will also be recording today. And one of my biggest criticisms of that one is it couldn't just let the obvious metaphor stand. It had to go through and explain it. Right. And so for a while, this one is obvious. It is not beaten to death. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was just enough. Yes. It was a heavy touch, but it was, it was just enough. You know, sometimes you need a heavy touch. 
I I also liked that this this book is not a taboo romance or erotica or anything like that. But there was this fun little touch of the forbidden in the fact that she was not, she was still unmarried and she just like wanted to live with this dude. Yeah. I don't know. I was into it because so many books really shy away from that. And this one didn't. I will say that this book reminds me a lot of one of my favorites, Mistress by Amanda Quick. Mm-hmm. In the again, in the first fifty percent, right? Right. Um, because they're they're very different books. The main thing that's um, that's similar is that she is acting as his mistress so that they can solve a mystery or. Like, they're doing an investigation. They're searching for things. So it's very similar in that, like, they'll go into studies and, like, search and things like that. There's- well, I thought it was funny when she asked to be a mistress in name only in this book. And he was like, no. Yes, yes, yes. So I, I did feel like there was a little bit of inspiration from that book. That said, I am obsessed with mistress. So I also, I think about it a lot, like, all the time. <laughs> So there may not have been any inspiration at all. It just did feel similar, which is another reason that I had, I think, affectionate feelings towards it from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So all of this is to say, like, Vivian Lauret is a great writer who manages to make things that we're sometimes on the fence about really viable and manages to take things that we see all the time feel really unique. Mm-hmm. And the setup had us both hooked. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. And then it really, there were a lot of things that happened. I, I talked about them, the ones that I had the biggest problems with in tropes, right? Which is that first, there's a real heavy emphasis on how she's not like other girls. TM. Um, like he says it, uh, one of his, his father's former mistress says it like people who know him really well are like, Oh, I see you're in love because she's different. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, I, I just would really like to see one where, and I say this, maybe I wouldn't like it, but I think it would be interesting to see one where he's like, okay, you're going to be my mistress. And then it turns out that they actually are just very compatible. It's not that she's not like other girls. It's that we get along differently than I got along with anyone else, you know? Yeah, I was, th- this is one of my least favorite tropes. I think the reason it was getting away with it for me for the beginning of the book is because of the fairy tale style telling. Mm-hmm. Like, no, she's not like other girls. Birds sing to her and put ribbons in her hair. And like, right. I, she was abused and kept in a tower. Like, I'm, I'm willing when that's what you're laying into, like, to be like, okay, fine. She's like no one else you've ever met because she's a fairy princess. But then the second half change the circumstances and the tone of the book so heavily yeah that the oh she's different because she's not a greedy whore who will ruin my life yes felt heavy-handed and way less likable 
Yes, because so at the same time that she's not like other girls, we have to see what girls she wasn't like. Mm-hmm. Because there's this evil woman who was going to be his mistress, but he decided that he wanted to be with Prue instead. And so he tried to be generous with this other woman and say, well, I'll still pay for your wardrobe or something like that. And then she gets all pissy and she's like, well, I wanted to be my, I I guess I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand her motivation. She was not a real person. She was a caricature of a personality. She was an evil bitch, as you say, greedy whore who wants to take him for everything she could. And then even though she was still getting money out of him, wanted to ruin his marriage. Yeah, it was really weird also because she was very much a pawn in the other guy's game. Like, she had yes. none of her own agency. Mm-mm. I don't know. Like, this is where I don't think this book... I think it was very... We keep using the word fairy tale whatever, but I don't think you were meant to think take a lot of these things super seriously. But... Everyone's motivations were so opaque by the end that right. it made me feel squicky. I don't have a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's a lot of miscommunication, which, as you know, is one of our least favorite parts. But it got really he- – speaking of a heavy touch, it got really heavy-handed in the second half. Yep. He's not telling her everything. She's not telling him everything. And then there's like a literal mistaken identity. With a long lost twin brother. (laughs) (laughs) Look, it wasn't the twin part that, it wasn't the long lost brother part that pissed me off, you know? I'm sorry, not twin. Not long, just long lost brother, not long lost twin brother. Yeah, but still, like that wasn't the part that got to me. That would have fit perfectly with the fairy tale stuff. It was how it was implemented. Yeah, like, like just talk to each other. You know, just talk. Just, just you're you're married. You're married, and of course, I swear to God, if I read another book lane where they say, "I'm going to talk to her tonight," I just need you to do this one thing first. No, you can't. You cannot do that one thing. Just one thing. Talk. Just talk. Yep. Immediately. 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 As soon as I read that in a book, I'm like, "Fuck this shit." I'm like, "No." Don't even, don't say it, don't think it. Guarantees a really complicated misunderstanding, seeing something you shouldn't. You're right. She's almost an idiot in the end. I mean, yes. Basically, to make the ending work, and this is where, like, it kind of stopped being fun fairy tale and started frustrating me, everyone just had to be out of character. Yeah, like everyone had to stop thinking critically. Every it, it just you had to just be along for the ride, and something about this was just not fantastical enough that I couldn't turn off the logic brain and be like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like I mm-hmm. couldn't stop myself from feeling that way. Yeah, and then the final thing that annoyed me was that they they get married again about halfway through the book. Because it turns out that she's actually a virgin. I fucking hated that whole sequence. And I think different things frustrated us. Whatever. He's going to not question his own internal biases that, like, 
this poor girl has been so taken advantage of that she believed she wasn't a virgin, but she actually was. And as a gentleman, it's he's required to marry virgins that he sleeps with, whatever. That whole scene at the altar made me livid. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I don't want to say more without totally spoiling it, but, like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, and, look, I wasn't planning on bringing Mistress up again, but I'm gonna because... Oh, go for it. Like, I am. The same exact thing happens in Mistress. They have sex. It turns out she's a virgin. And he's like, well, now we have to get married. And she's like, uh, no. Well, the difference is, though, she knows she's a virgin in Mistress. Yes. I mean, that's part of it. Yes, that's a part of it. But but there is a difference. (laughs) I mean, there is a difference. But I just also, I feel like if you're going to write me a book about an independent woman or someone who has choices, right? Like, she's going to have choices at the end of these four months. Right. I don't know if I would have liked it any better or if it still would have pissed me off if she had just been like, let's wait until the end of our contract. And if you still want to get married, then we can do it. I don't know if I would feel differently. I probably would still be upset or annoyed. But at least in that circumstance, odds are he'd have time to say, I love you. Like my misgu- like my honor about just needing to marry you because I had sex with you, finding out you were a virgin was misplaced, but now I'm really in love with you. Yes. Like it, it would give time for things to evolve more organically. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I do understand the whole, look, I get it. I also understand wanting to get married earlier in the book because then that's out of the way, right? And you can analyze his motivation for wanting to. I want marriages out of the way for sexy times. Right. That's why I want early marriages. I want honorable sex early. The first 25% of the book, yeah. They're already in a sex contract. Yeah. The marriage does nothing for me. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we move on to content warnings? No, I think you covered it. All right. So what are the content warnings of this book? She was definitely sexually assaulted. Mm. Now, as we learned, she thought she lost her virginity and she did not. We both have a lot of questions. But a lot of questions. This is one of those books where I like texted, I texted Lane and I was like, was it anal? I don't know. <laughs> we still don't know. We don't know. Like, without, she not only bleeds, but is apparently like bruised and it yep. was like extremely painful. And Meg and I are just trying to figure out what the hell went down. We don't know. We don't know what. We don't know what went down. We don't know. But, we know it wasn't George. Right. But, the way he coerced her in the field, it was definitely coercion. Yeah. She, as we said, she was in an extremely lonely and desperate place. But beyond that, like, he was cl- clearly forcing himself physically. You don't get the, the sense that she consented, let alone enthusiastically consented, so much as yeah. just, like, let it happen. Right. So just a heads up that that wasn't ideal. No, not at all. And then, yeah, I th- we already talked about it, but in the first part of the book, she is, she's not only banished by her father, she's forced to basically be a, an unpaid servant for her, her aunt. 
And he was the son of an unloving father who was never there for him. Like, but there's no like explicit child abuse on the page, but they are both clearly extremely emotionally neglected as people. Yeah. All right. How sexy was it? Hot damn. <laughs> so are you saying it was real sexy? Yeah. <laughs> it's very it sexy. Was, it was so fun. <laughs> it was. And, like, th this is what Vivian Lord is best at. Like, not only is it sexy in the sense of, like, I know where their hands are, but even, like, she's every sex scene, she realizes she's never been naked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they work, and then every morning she gets up and she steals his, like, elegant silk robes. And it's, like, yes. the whole scene setting and building and, like, ah, uh, it was so sexy. It wasn't, like, I'm not just saying it was explicit, like, the vibes were sexy. You pictured a lot of brocade and velvet. Like the whole thing felt very, like the setting, his bedroom was very tactile. It's true. Like you, you can smell the like balsa wood and oak of his bedroom. Yeah, for sure. I agree. It's very sexy. There's like bathtub sexy times too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Bathtub stuff. I think there's, carriage stuff i don't know if they have sex but there's like making out in the carriage for sure yeah the big complaint i have here is you have this really adorable setup you have them like questing for these objects and they're both like clearly turned on getting away with it and with each other and it's just like really adorable and then the last 40 percent of the book is a totally different book well that's the thing too um like, there's not sexiness they aren't working on this quest in the same way. It's all just about this miscommunication and misunderstanding. And you're like, oh, well, okay. that's exactly it. Like this, the setup of this book is they're on the same page, like not, excuse me, not on the same page, but they're on the same side. They're mm -hmm. working together to do something. My favorite examples of those are ones where they're working together to do something. And then at the end, they realize, you know, we've, they're maybe not on the same page, maybe they have different motivations for doing it, but by the end, they've come to get to know each other, and they're like, wow, you know, we should be together, right? So right. conflict is not anything interpersonal. And it felt like she was setting that up, and then she was like, oh, no, I have to get some conflict in here. Why don't I make it that they don't get along? I mean, it could have been so easy to just have the actual conflict in the denouement be he doesn't believe he's capable of love and she has literally spent her entire life attempting to get back her inheritance which includes a property where she can finally have independence for once in her goddamn life mm -hmm. like those are incompatible right they both have to pick each other over their perceived vision of their future I didn't understand why this evil childhood friend or other woman had to be real obstacles anyway. Like, make the real obstacle somehow tied into getting these objects. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Make, the, make him realize, like, he figures out how to get the final object, but he doesn't want to do it. And he doesn't know why he doesn't want to do it, right? He's like, why am I not pulling the trigger on getting this thing? And she's like, why do I not care that he's not getting this final thing? Or make, like, whatever he has to do to get the final thing some gift of the Magi situation. <laughs> yeah. I don't, like, 
I, I just, I was really frustrated that the last 25% was just a lot of crying and mistaken identity and miscommunication and misunderstanding. And it was like, okay, I, whatever. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. We're on the same page with this book, Lane. So, I mean, here's the thing. Vivian Lort is so fucking good at writing and world building. And I'm always really interested in the choices she makes as a writer. Mm-hmm. I just want a little less left field drama at the end of the books. I agree with you. I feel like this is almost everything that we've said about every single one of her previous books. Like, they're good. And they lose us in the end. Yeah, they are. They're, they are good. But it's not our favorites. Yeah. We're happy to brainstorm for people who want to write angst-free books or low-angst books. We are predictable bitches. We are. Thank you guys so much for listening. Talk to you next time.